0: And this is true of my own example, right, that there are a lot of skills that Chess teaches you which are really handy in the business world. Uh, so things like uh, strategic thinking and planning, um, decision making, decision making under time pressure.
1: Hello and welcome back to Corvinus Business Intelligence. Today, we will be talking about the synergies between the world of chess and the world of business. And we're just delighted to have with us to address this topic, Norbert Fögarashi, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley and Head of Morgan Stanley Hungary. Norbert is also a member of the Hungarian Chess Federation and is intensively involved in the Global Chess Festival. My name is Theodore Boone. I'm a member of the faculty of Corvinus University's School of Business in Budapest, Hungary. My co-host for today's program is Chris Chordash, a student in our business school. As we begin today's episode, I would like to thank our two wonderful sponsors and distributors. The first sponsor and distributor is the Budapest Business Journal, Hungary's practical business bi-weekly since 1992, and our second sponsor and distributor is Unilife Unilife.hu, with between 25 and 50,000 daily real users, it's a leading platform in Hungary on higher education. Norbert Fogarashi, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley and Head of Morgan Stanley's Hungary Operations, welcome to Corvinus Business Intelligence. Thank you, Ted. It is my pleasure to be joining the podcast. Well, it's absolutely our pleasure as well. And, you know, I was so excited about this, this program um, because I operate in the world of, of business. Chris is studying business, and I am also a huge chess fan. And your perspectives on the relationships uh, between uh, these two activities in, in the world, um, I think are just going to be fascinating. If you could start by telling us a little bit um, about your, your background and how you got to where you are today.
0: No, sure. Thank you, Ted. Um, yeah, I think the relationship between chess and business are so fascinating. And in fact, each topic, each area in itself is huge. And um To start with a disclaimer, I don't claim to be the best chess player in the world or amongst the best chess players in the world. I also don't claim to be one of the top business uh, people in the world. Uh, But perhaps when you take the two combined, um, you know, I think I've achieved quite a lot in each area. So so hopefully I'm qualified to make some of these connections. And yeah, to understand my background, I, um, I was born and raised in Hungary. So I grew up uh, here and I got acquainted with chess at a very early age. Um, not quite as early as some of the top players today, where you have to be a grandmaster by age 10 or 12, you know, to have a real chance at the, at the top. Uh, but, I, but I learned the, to play the game at around age 10. And then I, I started competitively playing around age 12. Um, and I got to a decent level um, whereby I, within the Budapest Championships, uh, I, I, uh, I came number five. So I qualified for the national finals. This is back when I was um, uh, thir- uh, about 16 years old. Uh, but I couldn't then compete in the nationals because my family moved to Canada. Uh, so I actually, um, uh, during my high school years, um, I relocated. Uh, that was quite a profound impact on
1: my life. Um, so you were about 15, 16 when
0: you moved? I was about 16, 17 exactly when I, when I moved to Canada. And, um, and all of a sudden I found myself uh, in a country where um, you know, my English was decent. I went to uh, a, 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 an English specialized high school here in Hungary, but I really learned um, using the language um, over there in, in Canada. Um, and I found myself, you know, uh, barely qualifying to national finals to a position where I was one of the best players in chess in my age group. So I ended up winning, actually, the Canadian Nationals um, of my grade level um, shortly after we moved to Canada. Um and uh, yeah, I, I finished my high school, and then I, um, I did my university studies in Toronto, and I studied computer science and then mathematical finance uh, for my master's, um, and I started my career in New York, of all places, the financial capital of the world, as, a, as an analytical programmer, so somebody that works very closely alongside the business, but really does implementation of pricing and risk management uh, software in the front office.
1: When you started chess in Hungary, did you think it was helpful that, from my perspective, there's a strong chess culture in Hungary?
0: Absolutely, yeah. So when I started out playing chess, I actually had a coach and I had an international master, very highly ranked uh, coach uh, who helped my development um, um, and yeah, there were uh, basically the way I started it. There was, um, there was this old man who came to all the schools and organized competitions and was looking for talented kids to get them into chess clubs and get them to play competitively. And yeah, back then, Hungary was clearly one of the top nations in the world. The Soviet Union was dominating. This is back in before the change of uh, systems. Soviet Union was dominating all the chess competitions. Uh, but, you know, Hungary was right up there in the top three cannot really say that now, with the collapse of Soviet Union, you had four or five very strong countries, you know, Russia, the Ukraine, Armenia, Azerbaijan, were all top countries. And plus, you had the rise of the US and India and China. So Hungary is now um, competing to stay in the top 10, really.
1: And, and I know Chris has a lot of questions for you as well. Maybe first, you could just talk a little bit about Morgan Stanley, Hungary, And we'll probably come back to that a bit later, but I think that would be that would be useful as well. And then I'll turn it over to Chris uh, a bit.
0: Absolutely. So I actually ended up joining Morgan Stanley in New York uh, back in 1999, and I had a very very enjoyable and successful career here over the 22 years that I've stayed with the firm so far. And we actually opened up our Budapest office 15 years ago. So I took the opportunity to relocate back to Hungary after a brief stint um, um, in in Tokyo with a company and then six years in London. So I had the privilege of actually living in all the major financial centers in the world. And over the 15 years, the Budapest office has grown to over uh, 2,500 staff uh, across 10 different business units, including technology, finance, risk management, wealth management, Um, and operations so we actually have a very significant presence now in the country for
1: Morgan Stanley. That sounds fantastic when uh, I was doing some research ahead of time on on this um, I noticed that your peak uh, chess rating of 2200 was about the level of employees you have at Morgan Stanley (laughs) of 2200. I was wondering if there was any uh, if that's just pure coincidence or not.
0: (laughs) That's quite funny. Yeah. So in chess, we have this um, ALU rating system or FIDE is the International Chess Federation keeps a rating similarly to tennis of how well you're doing. Um, and you these these points can increase or decrease. So as you rightly pointed out, I had a peak rating over 2200. That's given me a title for life of FIDE Candidate Master, uh, which I, I proudly uh, hold and proudly uh, present. Um, and yeah, it's a sheer coincidence that we have a similar number of uh, people employed. Although of the twenty-two hundred in Budapest, we have six or seven who also are internationally ranked chess players. So, um, so we actually have a very strong, uh, uh, you know, talented uh, um, uh, group of people here, including some really strong chess masters.
2: So, have have you noticed any um, connections between how well they play chess and how well they? Uh
0: do in business life? Yeah, absolutely. I think, and this is true of my own example, right, that there are a lot of skills that chess teaches you which come really handy in the business world. Uh, so things like uh, strategic thinking and planning, um, decision making, decision making under time pressure, endurance when you're faced with difficult situations over the chessboard, and you need to hang in there. Well, that's quite true in the business life as well. Um, but even more concrete things like pattern recognition or adaptability to uh, ability to adapt to different situations and opponents these are all skills that chess teaches you and uh, i have found them very useful in my uh, professional life and in my business life and uh, similar things that i notice in my colleagues who play chess these are clearly their strengths
1: and i mean it's just it's just fascinating could you expand on that for example strategic th- thinking in the chess world, um, wh- what do you mean by that? And then maybe we can talk about it more in the, in, the business, in the business world.
2: Is it all about how many moves ahead, do you think?
1: Right, so it's a great question. So
0: strategic thinking means formulating a plan and executing it, but executing it in a flexible way, right? So you, you may have the best, uh, who was it that said, you know, the, even the best of plans don't withstand the first contact with the enemy. Right. So you have to be very adoptable and very uh, flexible in your in your thinking. And this is exactly how it works in chess. Um, So to answer Christoph's question, it really depends on the type of position. Some types of positions are such that when you build your mental tree of the chess position, right, from this position, I can make any one of these three moves, and then my opponent can reply any one of those three moves, and then I can play any one of these five, you know, very quickly, this gets out of hand, and you build a very broad tree. If the position is like that, very broad in any given position, there are multiple potential moves, then you cannot really think ahead that far. And that's where you have to be very adoptable. On the other hand, there are certain positions where it's more of a forced uh, tree, right? So in this position, really, I only have one uh, meaningful move. Then my opponent really has a very obviously best move. Then I have my plans continuation. In those sorts of positions, you can think ahead as far as 10 or 12 move pairs. Uh, So in fact, 24 single moves. Or there are some studies that play on this theme uh, that go up to you need to checkmate or find the best plan over a hundred moves even, right? So just characterizing how many moves you think ahead doesn't necessarily give you the information. You need to have the type of position in terms of how forcing that move sequence is to to tell whether that's really such a big uh, achievement.
1: And could you transpose that a bit to the business world? Yeah. So uh,
0: in business as well, or maybe uh, a better way to think about it is my own career. So I had um, uh, some plans that I had made for myself of, um, you know, after graduating from university, you know, I knew I wanted to get into the field of finance and I knew that I wanted to apply my skills in computer science and mathematics uh, in a business setting. Um, And I joined this Canadian uh, company. And um, and actually, I quite enjoyed my, my first job there, and I could learn a lot, but still, somehow, I felt like the company culture and the career prospects were not quite what I had expected, and this became abundantly clear to me, and this is back in 1998-99, this is the Russian debt crisis or the long-term capital crisis, not quite the big financial crisis of old 8 but it was kind of a smaller dip, and I could tell that... You know, uh, this this company wasn't really equipped um, to deal with uh, even these small bips. They had to basically significantly downsize, downsizing the areas that I was in. So although I had this fantastic plan thought out, I I was committed to this company for the long term. It became clear to me that I had to switch and I had to um, change my tact or change my plan, change my company early on in my career. This can be quite daunting and frightening when i had just moved to new york uh, you know i'm in a brand new environment i'm brand new company brand new career um you know i was a top student i had i thought i had it made and i was on the right track and very early on i had to uh, you know um re recompute as your gps would say you know recalculating the route um but you know chess taught me it, it sometimes is like that yeah um you you could have this great plan but for whatever reason, maybe you miscalculated. maybe your opponent came up with something better than you thought, you need to recalculate.
2: Um, I would just like to ask how you got to the head of Morgan Stanley, like that should have been really well calculated moves to get there. It doesn't just happen, I guess.
0: Yeah, so I'm not the CEO of Morgan Stanley, I'm the head of the Budapest office, so I'm not quite at the top of Morgan Stanley yet. Um, but again, I think, um, um, again, and to bring the chess skills into it, I didn't have a plan, right, to be, to be the leader of, of Morgan Stanley in Budapest, what I had a plan for is uh, to do the absolute best I can in, the, in the, the given position that I was in. So when I first joined Morgan Stanley, you know, I sat on a trading desk alongside the traders, you know, it's exactly as in the movies, you know, there's phones ringing, there's traders yelling and there's, you know, um, clients on the telephones. And then, you know, they're saying, oh, this price is off or this risk metric doesn't look right. Come and fix it. So that was my job then. I was a systems guy who would then uh, go up to them, uh, look at what the problem is and try and very quickly resolve it quite often in real time and, or figure out whether the system's wrong or the trader's misinterpreting something or the client's wrong or what's going on. So. So quite a stressful uh, environment that I found myself. Um, But, you know, at that point, I had no idea that at some point I was going to be managing this many people. I just wanted to do the absolute best I could in that in that given situation. And that's opened up doors for me. So eight months into my career, my manager called me into his office and said, we have a big problem. The global system that you're working on, you're supporting your building in, in New York, um, has nobody to support it in Asia, in Tokyo. So we're desperately in need of somebody. We asked all the more senior people, nobody wants to relocate, would you be interested? Um, and I said, sure, I'll, I'll try it. Um, I, I traveled to Tokyo for a month to, to try out what it's like living in Asia. I'd never been there. I didn't speak the language, of course. Um, and I enjoyed it. So, this is back to my point. You have to have a plan. I had a plan, but you have to be very adaptable to what actually comes up in, in your career. That was just one example.
1: May I ask, in that vein, and coming also a bit back to this notion of strategic thinking, um, and I'm displaying my non-expertise in chess. Uh, <laughs> uh, does does one um, primarily play only the board, or you also? Uh, kind of playing the person or sort of trying to psych out the person or uh mm-hmm. that kind of thing. And then how does that transpose to business? I and mean, sometimes are you are you playing the facts or I'm thinking about, for example, negotiations, when you're negotiating with somebody across the table, uh, maybe of a different entity, are are you playing the facts on the negotiating table or are you are you playing against the, the person across the negotiating table?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, there.
0: it's a great question. And yeah, it's um, it's really a question of personality. And there are different schools of thought, even amongst chess players, right, of what the best approach is. And I think it's different for each person. So, for example, former world champion Garry Kasparov was known to intimidate his opponents by his... Um, you know, off the chessboard activities, his demeanor, his character, his overbearing uh, uh, personality and presence at the board. And that clearly threw his opponents off and influenced them. Whereas there are other players like, let's say, Kramnik, who are much less intimidating, but they just completely submerge themselves into the position and play fully against the board and really trying to find the truth in the position. Um, and this um, this really points to a separate topic: what chess is, right? Is it a fight? Is it a game? Is it a sport? Or is it really a science where there is a truth in any given position? Or is it an art where you can actually create brilliancies and beautiful thoughts can uh, transform, uh, can can appear on the uh, over the over the chess position. Um, I'm personally more of the scientific type, right? Um, I actually completed my doctorate in computer science later on in my career. um, And I'm of the Botvinnik, another former world champion, was actually the teacher to both Kasparov and Kramnik. Botvinnik's thought, who was actually a computer scientist, electrical engineering, he then became the sixth world champion in the Soviet Union, who said chess is really a science And we should treat it uh, scientifically. We should seek out the truth in any position and submerge ourselves and not get bogged down with um, shenanigans off the board and, uh, you know, bluffs and those sorts of things. And that really is much more in in my ilk. So, so when, I, when I think about, say, bluffing somebody or, or, or swindling somebody over the board, I think that's very unscientific and I uh, don't lower myself to such <laughs> measures at the chessboard. And it's similar to, to how I behave in the business world as well, where, you know, I'm much more of a fundamentalist. Uh, if it comes to, you know, um, you know, stock markets and 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 finance and financial theories are much more of a, you know, let's look at the foundations of a given company or of a given uh, process or a given um, um, asset. And let's try and figure out what happens uh, based on that, as opposed to the technical notions or what happens in the particular market or, or, or behaviors of individuals around that particular asset. So, so I think it depends on the personality. I definitely put myself in a more scientific camp
2: in that scale.
1: Thank you, uh, Chris, please go ahead.
2: Uh, setting out traps and outsmarting your opponent is kind of different from bluffing, right?
0: Yeah, yeah, you're right. So when you, when you um, get into the truth of the, when you get into studying the position or analyzing a given chess position and you're trying to find the best move, absolutely it entails crossing your opponent's plans and it entails uh, trying to set um, traps that if they're not careful, they could fall into. But inevitably, what you think about is, OK, assuming that my opponent plays the best moves, right, is this trap still a viable one? So even if he sees that it's a trap, plays the best move, is my move still better than any of my other moves? Because that's the only re- time that i play played. It. And it's a good habit to get into, even against lower rated or weaker opponents because um, you can very quickly get lazy <laughs> and especially nowadays when actually chess is speeding up um, you know there's an uh, element of time we haven't spoken about uh, thus far you know you can create plans and you can you need to react to what happens in the world but inevitably you have a limited time to do so both in the business world and in chess um, and in chess more and more as the move as the game moves online um, and uh, blitz chess, where you only have, let's say, five minutes for a given uh, game, for the entire game, and you need to allocate your time uh, for all the moves uh, uh, amongst that five minutes, time is a, is a huge factor. And, um, and you, you can very easily get lazy where, oh, I'm just going to play this move, and I'm sure he's gonna, not going to see my trap behind it. But if they do, if my opponent does, then I'm in trouble, right? That's not, that's not how a serious chess player
2: plays in my mind. Have you ever been faced with such traps in the business world, too, where they try to outsmart you with carefully planned little traps?
0: I wouldn't use the word trap. And even in my example where I where I said I'm trying to find the best move in, the, in a given position, yes, they may make a suboptimal move. And yes, you could consider that they've fallen into my trap. Um but 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 similarly, when somebody when somebody um, you know presents an opportunity to me that may not appeal or that may not be best for me to take, I don't. I never really think of it as a trap. I think of it as a, you know, from my perspective, that's a suboptimal outcome. Therefore, I'm not going to take it. Right. So I, I never try to assume that they're malicious or negatively intentioned or only looking at their own own interests. Um, I think of it as. You know from their perspective it probably makes sense and maybe they would like me to take a certain course of action but you know my object, my objective is to maximize uh, my own utility function therefore it, it may not coincide with what they um, what they had in mind so yeah maybe different terminologies but um, yeah i don't i don't really find um, that many traps in the business world
1: And on that note, I have to say, unfortunately, because the time has really just flown by, we have run out of time for today. Um, But uh, dear listeners, please come back for part two, episode two of our discussion with Norbert Fogarashi on the relationships between chess and business. I would like to thank my co-host Chris Chordash, today. And most of all, I would like to thank you Uh, Norbert Fogarashi, Managing Director at Morgan Stanley and Head of Morgan Stanley Hungary for this fascinating conversation. We leave you today with these words of Benjamin Franklin, an investment in knowledge pays the best interest. Thank you.